no more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to Media and the End of the World, where the game's made up and the points don't matter. Ralph, it's good to be back with you. It is great to be back. We've apparently survived the Civil War. That's good. That took place on the 4th of July. Yes. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was pretty uneventful. Well, I have a pretty good 4th of July story that I will get into, but first I'd like to introduce our guest. Um, I know her really well. We happen to share a last name. Uh-huh. Uh, we also share a house together. Uh-huh. Can you guess who she is? Um, well, it would have to be probably maybe your support structure, your your better half, as they say. That's right. Is that is that am I in the right track here? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. You have to say hi. Hi. Well, you never told him my name. I'm just the person that lives oh. at your house that you share things with. Oh. Uh, her name is Katie. Uh-huh. Her last name is Krim, just like mine. Right, right. Yes. And actually, she's been the subject of discussion occasionally. Yeah, yeah. She, she comes here. up, so it's probably it's probably worth introducing right. the audience yeah, to her yeah. as well. Being, uh, I've been taught to be a big John Mulaney fan. And John Mulaney, you know, I don't know if you've heard this routine where he actually asks his wife permission to be able to go on stage and make fun of her. I've gotten better at like what stories I tell or how I tell them knowing that Katie is probably going to listen to it. That's well. Yeah. And then I get mad because he didn't go as far as he could have with his stories. That's true. I could have told him way better. Yeah. Well, you do. There are, there's a certain amount of discretion that you, that one needs to leave sitting in the background. I actually learned, and, and you'll both experience this joy at some point when your children become old enough for you to be around people that know them, that all of a sudden a lot of your stories just have oh, to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're we're just now figuring out that our kids are like actually listening in the back of the car when we're talking. They do, yeah. Because it comes it comes up later and yeah. it can you know, be embarrassing. We're pretty dry in our way of talking to each other, so our six year old all the time will be like, Will you guys stop fighting? Right. <laughs> like we're not fighting. We're just We're just trying to decide trying... where to go eat to eat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're yeah, both yeah. just very we both have a point. It's very factual that we're trying to get across. Yeah. Very direct. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there, there was a. I, I don't know if you knew about this, but at one point there was somebody who did some experiments. I think it was um, David Eagleman was talking about this. I believe I could be wrong. So if David Eagleman hears this and didn't say this, I hope he doesn't get mad at me. He's a um, neuro, neurophysiologist who works at Baylor, and he's brilliant. He's friend just of the podcast. Friend yeah. of the podcast. Probably Good guy. Probably listening. Uh, I learned two things from him that are very important. One is that there are some women. Not all women, but some women who see colors that no men and most other women don't see, which I think is fascinating. Hmm. The idea that that part of reality, because they're able to discriminate these colors that other people can't see, um, which kind of fits in with the, you know, the sort of like the refresh rate of dogs versus people. Sure. You know, it's these things that are physiological limitations that we're like stuck in. So uh, anyway, but there but there was a, another incidence of somebody who uh, suffered some brain damage um, for, I can't remember what the circumstances were, an injury or an accident or something like that, and basically lost the 
the more impulsive part of brain function. And so, and it's really weird because if you think about how you make decisions, right? So do you want to meet on Tuesday or Wednesday for dinner? And you're like, well, I don't know. And in your head, you're going, well, Tuesday is good for these reasons. And Wednesday is good for these reasons and bad for these reasons, and everything like that. And eventually you just have to impulsively pick one, right? So my guess is that your dinner conversation is about this. It's about who wants to be impulsive and who doesn't. Is that true? Like who gets to be, who gets to say, yeah, that's what I have an impulse to eat right now. Yeah, it's tough to say. Um, I think it. I, th- I think there are times when um, I would just prefer that decision get made for me. Uh huh. You know, it's like no, that's no, no, not just, just with dinner. I feel like that's your whole life. Yeah, that's true. Uh, if I could, in my situation, right? So, do you, but do you think of like do you think of yourself an Adam? Do you think of yourself as an impulsive person? Uh, I would say slightly impulsive. Yeah, yeah. I would say forgetful. Well, okay, uh, we're not talking about that. That he has. <laughs> things to do okay friends this is what we've been shooting that's for. right so katie do you consider <laughs> right, yourself right. an impulsive person never never no i yes. would say that like when we, when we travel we are not like the people who go out and plan every single step so i think right. that there is like an impulsiveness that we both share uh-huh. where we're a little bit more in the moment than i would say other other people that we know I can, you know i kind of like when other people plan things for me right right Ex- you know except Sometimes. because i reserve i reserve the right to say no yeah no i am not going to go see that musical i hate that musical right. Right. you know that kind of yeah. thing i don't but, like i like to be the planner that's, and he's yeah. go- he goes with that. Yeah. When other people plan it, I realize really quickly that I think it's a terrible idea. <laughs> like, if it was a musical that I would always want to see, yeah. then if someone else planned it, I'd be like, that's the worst thing I've ever done. Well, I, I mentioned this partially because I, I did, as I'd mentioned previously, do the 4th of July tradition of watching 1776. Oh, yeah. How'd it go? It went really well because at the end, they voted for independence, <laughs> which was really great. Now, unfortunately, they decided to, uh, what's the term we use now, uh, mulligan, to take a mulligan yeah. on slavery, on enslaved Africans. Um, and that was, that was a, you know, it's kind of interesting to watch that discussion occur uh you know, every year on the 4th of right. July. So there's like, you know, the glory of the possibility of getting rid of tyranny and at the same time, basically instituting tyranny as national policy. Yeah. Is it the Jefferson so. who has the quote of, you know, slavery is like holding the the wolf by the mouth or something like that? I can't remember. Oh, can't. He does apparently, well, in the, in the, they kind of gloss it over in the musical because Jefferson had apparently said that he would release his slaves. Mm-hmm. But I think he said, when I die, not now. So yeah. there's that. Um, but anyway, speaking of the 4th of July, America was fine. We, I had mentioned that we had got a dog and I was going to talk about that. And yes. this is probably a, g- a good conversation to have jointly to keep me in check about why we have a dog. And, and, and the fact that since I said we had a dog, we've also lost the dog and recovered the dog. Um, and it's a, it's a big <laughs> and, journey and that could one week span. Yeah. Of getting it, the dog. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really a full homeward bound story. So we adopted a dog. Um, and I don't really want to get too, get too much in that. She's got a great backstory, but you know, we've only got, this is only a 45 minute show and we can't tell the whole thing given that the, her getting out and coming back is a, is a whole story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, Katie and I are rookies at owning dogs. Uh-huh. Uh, we have, you know, I mean, I've, we both had dogs growing up, but, uh, this is a, this is a first for our family. And as it turns out, the 4th of July is like the day that. 
most pets escape. Like yes. it's like the biggest day for pet escapes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Which we, makes sense. Yeah, we yeah. we fell victim to it. So we we ha- we had a full Fourth of July. We had three parties: a birthday party in the morning, a pool party in the afternoon, and a personal uh, fireworks show in the evening. And by the time that we had finished the pool party, we felt we felt pretty guilty for the dog who had been in her crate all day long. And so we're like, we'll put her in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And we bought this little ten foot radius thing in which she could kind of run around. Right. And she can hang out in the backyard tonight, and she'll love us because of it, you know. And and uh, and we'll feel really good about ourselves when we get home. Um, and so we put her in her harness, and we took off her collar. This is like where you get like, oh, that's the foreshadowing. Is right. like the collar gets removed from uh-huh. her. Um, and, um, she was in her harness anyways, she was able to slip out of her harness. And when we got home, she was not in the backyard, but there was a harness, but there was a harness. Yeah. That's, that's, that's totally creepy. Yeah. Oh, I full panic. I went out. I think I got out of the car before Adam even pulled into the garage. Cause I just had a weird. Oh yeah. She feeling. jumped out and barrel rolled and went to the backyard and no dog. It was all stars. So, yeah. Yeah, so cool. Adam and the girls are both still in the garage and I just come running out. She's not here. Like knock one of our daughters out of my way, run to the street, <laughs> <laughs> screaming for a dog. Priorities child go away. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so, um, so we so we we drove around for an hour. We did not find her that night. Um, we started posting everywhere that you can post Facebook and Instagram and Nextdoor, which is an app that you had actually told me about. Yeah. Nextdoor was was uh, was in some way I mean in some way successful. Um, and um, the next morning, we heard that she had been found pretty close to our house by a group of people trying to catch her, but no one could grab her because she's a little bit skittish uh-huh. around uh, around groups. And so um, we got a couple clues that she was around. Um, but really, really nothing. I think the biggest thing that came from the next day is like, there's this big social media effect where I posted a picture of the dog and I mean, they got like a decent amount of shares in the lost Norman pet sites. Um, but Katie posted a picture of our daughter and the dog, which, which is where you get the real sympathy (laughs) power for the share. And it was shared like 200 times. And so all of a sudden, like the city of Norman is on high alert, alert looking for our dog. Mm -hmm. Um, but she did not show up that day. And was, was the next day that she was found? Yeah. So I, it was like 7am. So I was obviously still asleep. The girls are still asleep. Adam is gone. Yeah. I was gone for the weekend. Um, and so my brother-in-law calls me and says, I just saw Nala. I was driving to work and she crossed the street. I'm just going to follow her till you can get here. So it was in true homeward bound fashion. I, rip the girls out of bed they go running downstairs <laughs> in their pajamas like we found our dog like the victory car ride uh-huh. right um and so but it was just amazing to us out of all of the people in norman who shared this post my brother-in-law is the one who sees her and just kind of followed her till we could get there and then we had like the tv moment where we reunited with each other and she knocked me over and it was Wonderful. That's a, that's a very Wonderful. beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. glad it ended well. And she's stayed on her leash the entire time. So she's, she's, not, she's not allowed to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> Neither are our daughters. Like, no one is. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Is your dog microchipped? She is. She okay. is. She is microchipped. Yes. Yeah, we finally, it took us 
I think when our dog was five, we finally said, mm-hmm. you know, just again, she's never going to take off because she's like a, a chicken dog. You know, she just is like all and then, you know, runs and hides behind things. But uh, but yeah, so we finally got her her chipped. Yeah. And, you know, this is something I talk about in classes, too, because let me ask you, as, as co-parents, would you chip your children? I don't think I would. Okay. No. No. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, but no. I mean, I mean, are we already chipped? Right. We, I mean, we track each other, right. so we have the yeah, find the, the friends the, app. It's like you have the exterior chip right. of the cell right. phone. Which... But when we got her back, I was like, "How can we prevent this from happening yeah. ever again?" And mm-hmm. I was googling, and there are um, tracking devices that you can just add to their collar. Yeah. But they're millions of dollars mm-hmm. and probably don't actually work. And so that might, I see that being a thing in the near yeah. future. It's, it's actually one of the things about those, about these micro local sites, I think is kind of fantastic. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was uh, right around the 4th of July, somebody had found a dog and we've thought about adopting another dog. And, you know, so they had a picture of the dog and it was really cute. And it was like sprawled out on somebody's porch. And then, then they posted other thing. Well, we still haven't heard yet. And this dog appears to be blind. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, and so I, I I DM the person and said, "Have you found the owner yet?" And no, and then they eventually did. Oh, good. But I was good. I was already developing right. an attachment to somebody else's yeah. dog. Well, th- so. that's what's crazy is I mean, there if, I feel like there's this force that exists within our town that will go looking after the oh, dogs yeah. immediately, and it, it can be really really helpful. And I uh, don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, we also got a. Like a few like false alarms of like oh that dog's already been found or this dog you know that, yeah that dog was already recovered and taken to yeah. uh, the 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 shelter yeah. and people, or one pe- person uh, messaged me and was like I saw her here and the address she gave me was in a town that's like an hour and a half away right. I'm like our chubby little <laughs> tiny dog is not going to travel an hour and a half to get our, to your our, house our dog took the train. Right. to another right. town entirely <laughs> jumped a box car they have a little bindle and jumped yeah. the box car and everything that's kind of amazing yeah it's just really it's it's just an interesting thing to watch how people because i have to say at the same time and i don't know if this is common I, I would just have to say in our locality there's a lot of very bad pet uh supervision mm. a lot of people who just don't not only don't take care of their dogs but um but they get dumped Mm-hmm. Um, because we're in a college town, that means that at a certain time of year, all of a sudden, like my daughter went, they just have, have had a, a local shelter, they had an event where they basically cut the adoption fees. And so she went to actually, she was going to go look at cats and all the cats were gone except for one, which was not appropriate for her. And, but, but so they, so they were, which is great. Right. But, you know, but they had, but then she said there were all these adult rabbits. And if you think about like the timing, like people who get the little bunnies at Easter, right? Right. And then they, yeah. they grow up into cat size rodents or what are they? Cavies. They're, I think they're in the cavy category with guinea pigs and stuff like that. But yeah, they get big and then people don't want them anymore. And it's just like, so that's part of it. And then the other part is people who just let their, you know, don't, don't have their dogs under control. And then the people who dump them. You know, and we're we're all the way sort of on the edge of town, and so we've seen lots of uh, very unfortunately very emotionally damaged dogs get dumped. You know, they're not they don't like people, <laughs> probably for good reason, and well, people have earned their mistrust. So, speaking of lost and found, we've been following the biggest worldwide story. That's not NATO. Yes, the biggest soccer story. Right. That's not the World Cup. No, the biggest soccer story. You did. Of, you did watch the Croatia game, though. Oh no no. Oh, I watched the Croatia Russia game. 
I, oh, it, was, I, it was beautiful. I have to tell you, I am not watching the World Cup, and it feels great to feel oblivious about something in this world right now. And we're going to get, um, this is going to be like our probably first negative review is someone's going to talk about how like I have a biasness against soccer, which is fine. I watched um, it. Did you? Once for yes. 30 minutes, but in case anyone gets angry, some, some croom is watching it okay. in our family. Um, what I am talking about <laughs> is this, the, the, the soccer team that has finally been both found and rescued out of Thailand, yes. which is crazy and has become a, a worldwide phenomenon of following this team. Have you been following I, that? I, a little bit. I hear more about it than I've read about it. Okay. Uh, apparently it was quite involved though getting them out. It was, yeah. So the, the soccer team... Uh, is a total of 12 soccer players uh, and their coach, their coach who is 25. Um, I believe the the players range somewhere from like 12 to 17 years old, and they had gone out for the 17-year-old's birthday party um, after a game. They were going to go celebrate it. Uh, they walked into a cave. It started raining. It's 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 sort of the, the high season for rain. started flooding the cave, um, and they were found, they were found, I don't know, something like six, seven days into them being lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story of the rescue is like really, really crazy. Like some of these kids can't. So two British dr- uh, divers are the ones who found them. Mm-hmm. Only one of the players, I think he's the, like the 14 year old actually knows English. So he was able to communicate with them. Uh-huh. And, and apparently these two divers are like the, the a all stars of, of British diving. I don't know, know exactly how that you, how do you get to that? But, <laughs> um, but then it took like a team of 90 divers, 50 of which are, um, are part of the, the, uh, the, the Thai, uh, they're from Thailand or 40 from Thailand and 50 from overseas. Yeah, so one thing, the seals I did, I did from, catch a little bit of an interview on the radio with one of the British divers. Yeah. And he was actually listing the kind of things they were involved in. And when you think about it, I mean, just think about what you've seen on television. Where do you see divers? Mm-hmm. See him working with the police for body recovery. Right. You see him, right. you know, anytime there's some sort of like catastrophe that's near any body of water, they're, you know, used to sort of like you call the divers, right? So they do an awful lot of work like that. Yeah. And, and apparently the majority of the team couldn't swim. And have you ever scuba dive before? Have you ever d- dove? No. So no. part of so part of the issue. So what they had to do, I mean, because this is like I said, like a mile or two into the cave, is they would take the. Um, the oxygen tanks and sort of lay them. And so when you ran out of oxygen, you could, you could stop at a place and and get new oxygen. The thing about oxygen is obviously like the more nervous you are, the more you breathe and the more oxygen you use. And so we have kids who can't swim that we're now putting oxygen masks on and, you know, having them hold a rope underwater where they can't see. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just can't imagine the amount of like oxygen they're, they're, they're going through just kind of in a, in a panic. Right. Um, trying to get through, but I guess as of sometime this morning, all 12 have made it out and the coaches made it out. Mm-hmm. And I think now, you know, as of right now, it's like a doctor and, and someone else that's, that has to get out and that's, that's it. That's it's a awesome. crazy yeah. story. I mean, just, you know, I think Elon Musk was like offering his, his superpowers to somehow <laughs> get in there with his automated driving scuba diver. I don't know. I don't know what he, what his plan was, but he's like, I'll do something. It just, there really has been the sort of worldwide coming together to, to save this. That's why do you think, it, team. why do you think it had such current? I mean, what do you think? It, because of the purity of the story, in a way. I mean, what do you think? I think the I think the mystery too. I mean, we saw this a few years ago with the plane that just vanished, right? Mm-hmm. That it becomes a big media story. It's something that can can, can carry over from day to day. Yeah. Have uh, you started on your version of the screenplay yet? 
I, I was going to say, like, how long is it going to take <laughs> right. for this to turn there into? Was, there was a tide diver as well who was trying to get the oxygen to the boys and lost his own oxygen right. pushing mm-hmm. it through, and he did not make it. So yeah. re- there's a lot of um, great respect for him as well yeah. from everyone. Yeah, I've seen his picture show up on right. Twitter quite a few times. And he was, yeah. I guess, retired and volunteered to mm-hmm. go in. Um, but you see also you, they laid out the map of what it looks like from where the boys were to getting out. And it's the snake of a almost looks like a treasure hunt huh. to get through that. They're just pushing these boys through this little tiny rock area. So yeah, terrifying. Of, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I don't. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting that it was like with the uh, miners that were trapped quite a few years ago and right. those sorts of stories that um, and I remember when I first saw before they had found them, I thought I just, you know, just kind of saw the thing and said, oh, they're they're done for just because I have a brother who lives in Thailand. And I know when the monsoons hit, it's bad. <laughs> it's yeah. really bad. I so. think I mean, I think that's why this the story had a lot of legs, too, is yeah. that they found them. They found them alive mm-hmm. um you know they were able to to actually communicate with them and bring them food and yeah i think crazy. well i was mentioning purity also because i think there's something about those kind of stories you know and it had a happy ending and everything like that but it's just kind of like it's got nothing to do with all the things that set us all on edge in terms of international conflicts or political things or, or uh, breastfeeding which is one of the things that's going to be discussed this week as they try to you know about the uh, yeah. efforts of the united states to um, to mysteriously stop a uh, petition that was being put across uh, by Ecuador to encourage breastfeeding. And uh, the U.S. opposed it. And actually, um, word came out that they had actually threatened Ecuador with trade sanctions if they continued to push this. And then eventually Russia introduced this measure. Wait, what? So, yeah, Russia introduced it and it passed. And, you know, there was a small modification to some of the language, but it was just insane. You know, it was just this. And and so right now people are trying to figure out, well, why did this happen? Because this is our public policy has been to support, you know, breastfeeding because it's good for people and things like that. And they just, you know, there's so there's suspicion that it was the interests of people who provide, um, you know, breast milk alternatives and that they basically got involved in it and things like that. But it, but it's still, I think, kind of a developing story that, that uh, is one of those, another one of those interesting things where, you know, we are perhaps, uh, as the United States, being in a little bit more of a conflict than maybe is necessary <laughs> given all the other things that are going on. So anyway, so so that leaves something like this story with kind of a level of purity to it. And it's kind of amazing to see how those resources get deployed sometimes too yeah. for the sake of it because it really does seem very encouraging. I can't make a very strong transition without this one feeling awkward <laughs> going from breastfeeding <laughs> to where I'm going. But I wanted to talk about ice cream. <laughs> milk. Milk. Milk products. Milk products. <laughs> I, that was a good transition. Yeah, was, that, that was, was that, smooth. That was as good as I could that make was, it. That was awesome. <laughs> okay. So a brand of ice cream. Do you remember in The Simpsons when Bart found out that they were actually giving the kids rat milk? <laughs> No, I don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they found out that organized crime had been milking rats and that that's what they'd been feeding the children in the school. I don't even know if that's something you could do, but it's just a hilarious idea. Anyway, but please go on. Trivia fact. Which ice cream turned 30 years old this year? Hmm. Would it be Ben and Jerry's? No. Oh, okay. Here's a hint. All right. It is, its slogan is the ice cream of the future. 
Oh, is that that with the dots? Thing? Yeah, Dippin' Dots. Dippin' Dots? Yes. So it turned 30 years old, which I found a fascinating story. So the story I was reading yeah. um, was on Adweek, and it was about how uh, Dippin' Dots sort of built its brand as being synonymous with, where do you usually eat Dippin' Dots, Katie? Me personally? Yeah. Everyone? Yes. It's you personally. Yeah, like carnivals and amusement parks. And right. so like it built its brand to be uh, like equated with happiness. Right. And now they're getting around like to- Like the deep fried candy bars. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and clowns, yeah. you know, all the happy stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Clowns, the clown of the future. Right, the clown right. of the Entertainment future. of the future. <laughs> and so they're coming around to, you know, the second generation, that the, the myself and, and Katie's who grew up being excited and happy about eating the ice cream of the future. And now our kids are getting to do it as well. But anyways, I, I found there was a part of this story that I've just found hilarious that I wanted to put it on. Um, so there was a, there was a specific uh, PR representative who, you know, I know, you know them, or, you know, you know, of this person, you don't know them personally. Okay. Um, but they had a, a, a tweet in 2010 uh, in which they said Dippin' Dots is not the ice cream of the future <laughs> with a with an X or with an uppercase N O T capital N O T not the ice cream of the future and that's the entire tweet. Okay. And this PR person was Sean Spicer. <laughs> but this is not where it ends because Sean Spicer did not end. Over a year later, he tweets again. I think I've said this before, <laughs> but Dippin' Dots is not the ice cream of the future. Zero. <laughs> With no space in between not and uh -huh. the. So. Dippin' Dots, total failure. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he tweets again two months later. Ice cream of the past, Dippin' Dots files for bankruptcy. <laughs> it's, like, it's like he finally had his vengeance. Um and then he comes back in, in, in 2015. If Dippin' Dots was truly the ice cream of the future, they would not have run out of vanilla ice cream. <laughs> That's that, that he, he, really, that he that, needs a different hobby. Isn't that great? That's wow. I mean, this guy feels like has a vengeance for Dippin' Dots ice cream. And so apparently the story goes that when um, uh, Donald Trump came into the White House and Sean Spicer was was named uh, as, as his his press secretary that dip and dots kind of remember this story and offered to like cater something <laughs> at the white house of dip and dots and which Sean Spicer said, no, like just do it for like veterans or something like that. So they uh -huh. ended up like uh, catering somewhere else. But this is, this is, this is the big PR story is uh Sean Spicer does not like dip and dots. That's amazing that the, he would actually spend time and energy doing that. That and of course you know when you mention Sean Spicer the only thing I can think of is Melissa McCarthy right. dumping <laughs> <laughs> dumping a whole container of gum into her mouth because apparently Sean Spicer was quite yeah. the consumer. Well, well if, it, we, we would have seen this coming if we would have known about the Dippin' Dots tweets yeah, yeah. You know, years ago. That, that he's that, an obsessive person. He's, yeah, he's, he's a little like, volatile. It, seems like decades ago that all that happened. I know, right? it? It's just really scary. Yeah, those the good times. Yeah. <laughs> So here's the debate. Is Dippin' Dots the ice cream of the future? Is <laughs> well at thirty years old, yeah, you'd have to start thinking that maybe you're 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 no longer the ice cream of the future. You know, that you probably have to start thinking you're maybe the ice cream of midlife crisis. Yeah. Find some other, you know, preoccupation. Dare I say but, make ice cream great again. <laughs>
<laughs> I I would have to I, I trust you on that. I think that's yeah. What's your preferred ice cream? My preferred ice cream? I I am actually a fan of the grand buffet of ice creams. You mean in terms of flavors? Well, just or, anything, yeah. I don't know. I don't um I, the, the the thing to me was that the, we used to have, when I lived in Iowa a million years ago when I was going to graduate school and our first child was born, that we had an, a little ice cream shack, you know, that was run by a family and had been there forever. And we would take uh, my child and my child would proceed to cover herself mm, yeah. with whatever it was we decided to give to her. And then we'd complain about it as we had to clean right. it up and everything. And then we'd be back the next week, particularly this time of year. Because, yeah. you know. Um, See, and you you were not in the era where at least we can take a picture, it can look cute, we can post it online. Right. Yeah. You know, no, no, we can have is, some kind of positive outcome yeah, from the experience. Yeah. No, no, nothing like that. There are some pictures, but they're they're sort of in with the other boxes of pictures under the stairs, you know. What about you? What, what are your favorites? I don't know. We ate a lot of ice cream in Italy. Yeah. Well, gelato. Gelato. Yeah. yeah. Can't call that ice cream. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 I like the uh, atmosphere mm-hmm. around the, the gelato thing, which is some sort of like that and fresh bread stores are, are something that yeah. are, unfortunately- We found an organic gelato store. At least it, it said it was. I mean, so who, who to knows, us but... that meant, oh, uh-huh. it's fine to eat six of these a day. It's organic. <laughs> right. So that happened a lot. That would well, yes, and they are big into the sort of like just the cookies for breakfasting too, which is oh, really yeah. kind of unusual. Yeah. So, but as long as you have ventured to the continent, um, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, British mysteries. All right, and I wanted to talk about uh, British mysteries, um, which it, it, there's a subgenre of them, um, and I have to say because I, I want to say something also about a, a new program that's just recently appeared on Netflix but there's a number of these that uh, Masterpiece Theater has put over or Masterpiece Mystery or have shown up on Netflix which are as we describe it um, they're uh, mysteries set in beautiful places where really horrible things happen right so you have uh, for example uh, a shot of a Welsh country house and there's the barn and it's all very beautiful and then sitting in front of the country house is somebody whose brains have been blown out by a shotgun just you know and that's sort of gets everything going um and that was at the beginning of um hinterland uh which was i don't know if i've mentioned hinterland I don't before, think you have. so there's there are a few of these shows that 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 uh have come out over the past few years that are i think definitely worth the time because the again it's sort of like the embarrassment of riches of of television these days which is the wrong term to use it but there's so much incredibly beautiful stuff and because of the um, because of the program holes right there are there's just an incredible appetite for lots of new things and um, and people can consume them you know kind of on their own terms which means you can binge through a series uh, we just finished Poldark, which I'll talk about in a minute. Three se- we did three seasons of that in about two weeks, which was kind of a remarkable because that was another it's sort of an offshoot because it's not a mystery. But so uh, so uh, Hinterland is one that's worth looking at. It's set in the Welsh uh, in the in northern Wales, and it's incredibly beautiful there. And the, uh, these shoes these shows usually have a burned out detective from London who has to go to some place to like get away from London because it'll kill you, and then go basically be a detective somewhere else. Um, and so that's kind of the setup for Hinterland. And uh, there's, a, uh, I think, two or three seasons of that. But the photography is just beautiful. Mm. It's just, you know, and then you're a beautiful countryside, dead body. You know, that's kind of the cycle it goes through. So Hinterland was one. Shetland 
which is set in the Shetland Islands. So again, beautiful landscapes with people dotted around, uh, horrible crimes taking place. Another one of that kind of old joke that, you know, if the murder rates were actually reflective in these shows, that it would be there'd be a crime wave like nobody's ever seen yeah. going on because these are places where the murder rates are actually really low anyway. But of course, the number of murders that happen in these programs are you know pretty outstanding. Um, so and then I wanted to mention also uh, Poldark. Um, which is um, set in Cornwall, which is an area. Um, I was just looking at uh, an article from the Strand magazine, the 10 mysteries set in the British countryside. And um, there's some discussion uh, when you move west, you get to, and this is quoting, uh, when you get to Cornwall, the territory where Rebecca by Daphne de Moyer is set, opening with the famous lines, last night I dreamed I went to Manderley again. Rebecca is the original domestic noir novel. It's set near Fowley in Cornwall, even further west than Dartmoor on the west coast, where the first Mrs. de Winter died in an apparent boating accident. So it's that coastal area that becomes kind of the focus of the show. And so we would kind of chuckle because it's sort of like there's three main places in Poldark where things happen. And to get from one to the other, you have to ride a horse across the shore, right, on the, up on the cliffs. So it's, again, incredibly beautiful. Um, it's set in the late 18th century. It's very, like, soap opery. The central character fought in the American Revolution, uh, which the British didn't fare so well in. But he did come back kind of scarred. He has a scar. And, uh, and then it gets into all of the uh, complications. And it's actually, I think, a really interesting examination of, of sort of – capitalism and how people struggle to find, you know, are they going to pay attention to how decisions they make are going to affect other people? So that's kind of the subtext of the, the soap opera-y kind of stuff. Well, while, while we're talking about um, how couples make decisions, I want to, I'd be curious to know, how do you guys decide what you're going to watch next? You know, it's, and I, I mentioned impulse has something to do with it. We have kind of a mental list. Yeah. But then there is sort of like the one or the other of us, or uh, if one of our daughters is home and is interested in something and read something or, you know, found a bit of something on YouTube. So uh, Laura had looked at, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it now. She had read something about um, this series that just showed up on Netflix called Sacred Games. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen any of it. Um, we have watched only the first episode of it. It just showed up. Um, but it's getting a lot of um, intense attention right now. It's in it's set in India, um, and it's a cop crime thing. Uh, and it's really beautifully shot. Again, I mean, I think that, and of course, you know, the the industry, the media industry there is enormous. So it's, so in that case, it was just reading about something and having seen some good reviews and, you know, my nominee for the Supreme Court, remember what my nominee for the Supreme Court was? Mm, it was... Um, Sean Spicer. <laughs> it was uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes, right. And so, so those you sorts of... You didn't listen to the whole podcast, Katie. I you just gave yourself away. the first half. You just gave yourself away. That's I was okay. playing with the dog. It's all right. And, and the dog needed the attention or else it was going to escape again. So, but, but anyway, yeah. So, um, so I think good word of mouth is, it, you know, it plays a big factor. In it. And then it's impulse beyond that, you know, yeah. sort of like, you know, how much do you want to, there, there, there was definitely Poldark carryover because we just finished the third season. The fourth season will appear in the U.S. in September. Um, so uh, if you haven't, if you happen to be interested in that sort of thing and haven't watched it yet, this would be a, I mean, it, it's a totally engaging soap opera yeah. kind of rich people, not rich people, poor people kind of thing. Katie, how fun am I to binge watch a show with? Never. Never? Why? 
he falls asleep in the first 30 oh, seconds or uh-huh. it will be obviously a binge worthy watching whatever that saying is <laughs> show and he will be like after the first one okay let's be done we'll oh. we'll think on this mm-hmm. then watch it again four more days uh-huh. and so i just wait till he goes to sleep and finish the whole season <laughs> without him and yeah. then we'll act like i was surprised yeah. when things happen yeah. but you know the I negotiations can't. around those sorts of yeah. things are really complicated i really don't want to watch more than one episode at a time because when i am probably struggling to stay awake the first one as it as it is um, but too, I do like to process things. So, yeah. so I, I don't like to go back to back to back on anything. I don't, I, I don't, I mean, we, we will do like, I think if we're like, I mean, again, with Poldark, it was pretty intense. So we had a couple of three episode evenings, which is a lot of time actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's like the length of apocalypse now or, you know, uh, yeah, I, longer, I, I, longer, and almost as long as superhero films. Yeah. Which are, well, which and are three I, hours now. I believe I've talked about this in the podcast though too, but I don't like long movies as it is. Like, uh-huh. so like the idea of an hour episode or a 70 minute episode or 75 minute episode, that's like perfect for me. Cause that's about the time that I can engage in anything, but, um, I will only subject myself to, you know, one two and a half hour, two or two hour, 45 minute movie a year. And that's star Wars. And that, that's really the only thing. And well, that's only cause I feel like I'm really bought in. Well, let me, let me put something on your list of to do's cause my guess is that you haven't. And it's actually worth mentioning because unfortunately uh, this past week we lost Claude Lonsman, who's a French documentary filmmaker. And mm. he made a um, series that he's the thing that he's most well known for is a series called Shoah. And Shoah was uh, an amazing documentary. I was just trying to see how many parts there were to it, because it's very it's it's very long. But the idea was to um, it's a uh, over nine hours long. Uh, he worked on it for eleven years, and uh, basically, I'd say this is a you know, very happy topic. He, it's about the Holocaust, and the idea was to try to do something that was giving as much detail about how things worked in terms of the culture around the Holocaust, without having to go to archive footage or anything like that so it's all interviews with people um, that he was when he was producing it in the mid 80s um, uh, people who had you know who were either children and participated or older people at that point there's a couple amazing interviews of people and they're saying things and you're just kind of like shocked at what they're saying explaining how some of what happened happened but anyway uh, it's a shame to have lost him um, but of course he was quite old and uh, but that's an amazing television series that uh, is worth spending the nine hours with with but in bits and pieces i actually watched it in two saturdays oh wow it would take adam three years yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, it's Especially amazing process something that deep yeah it's well it, it's yeah it, it's an amazing piece of documentary filmmaking um that you know again it kind of defies because we think of film as being kind of two hours plus or minus and this is you know this is of course this was presented as a series but uh but it's just an amazing piece of filmmaking um the detail it goes into you know of course it's distressing and everything like that but the approach that he took was just phenomenal so i have another you, uh, another question for you um this is something that that we frequently ha- have happen in our lives so occasionally we'll be at dinner with someone we probably don't know them super well or maybe we do and the only thing we can <laughs> talk about strangers yeah, quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah exactly is there a blind app where you can set up dinner like once you're once you're sort of like married and settled and you just want new friends right. you can just sort of like swipe and pick your new friends <laughs> we just actually just sit down at their table yeah, that's a good there. idea yeah, yeah. there's two more places seats like, do you like the places with the buffet tables where you end up sitting next to people and are diverting some yeah, yeah. 
Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the conversation always is like, so what Netflix show are you watching right now? <laughs> and then you struggle to find the one that you've both watched. You know, like that happens to us all the time. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, well, we just watched this. Have you watched that? No. Oh, okay. Well, what about this? You're and trying then, the whole time really hard not to give away your guilty pleasure shows. And, well, that and you not. Watch. And and not just because what, what I think we've talked about before, people really don't like being recommended new Netflix shows because they're already committed to something else, right? Yeah. And so it's really hard to get someone on board of something new to watch if they're well, watching. It's interesting because I think the source of the recommendation makes a lot of difference. Yeah. Like there are some people whose tastes I, I can disagree with, but I trust. And other people who are like, the way they react to things is just like, I know it's just not. I have a very close friend who actually I should tell him about this podcast because I don't even know if he knows it exists, but he should he should be listening to it, um, who is possibly the most uh, persnickety film person in the world. He'll go to a movie. Th- he lives in Los Angeles and he'll go to a movie theater expecting to see a, you know, you know, a film print of something and they'll have a digital projection and he'll get up and walk out because mm. he cannot stand <laughs> He's just he's just got the most amazingly precise and we and he and I like a lot of the same things. Um, we spend a lot of time together, so I know exactly how he's going to react to things. And his reactions are almost always like incredibly negative. Like he's just a really harsh judge of of uh, directing, especially. Um, so uh, I've learned to that when he makes a recommendation or if he says something terrible about something, you know, I sort of qualify that. I went through a period. I don't know if you ever like were you ever a big fan of things that were considered like totally not cool. I don't know what it's talking about. I've always been cool, Ralph. <laughs> That's actually never happened to Katie, me. Has, Katie, has that ever happened to you? Like, you not really? cool, well, but you said then the guilty, it really is cool. You, you did say the guilty pleasure thing. So oh, there's yeah. something I can't do that. Can't you tell can, you there. You can't? Maybe the second podcast. Okay. We look forward to that. We'll have to have you back to talk about that. I have lots. I, I went through, I went through, because uh, I was a big horror film fan, as you know, we talked about yeah. it before. Uh, it's my dad's fault, because when I was a kid, he would say, what are you doing? Let's go. We're going to go see a triple bill of horror movies at the drive-in. Okay. You know, and then develop the addiction, and then he'd say, "No, nah, we're not going to go." You know, just to kind of torture me. And <laughs> so anyway, so I, you know, he and I just watched tons and tons and tons of horror films. And then I get to be a college student, and it's, you know, it's time to be pretentious and arrogant. And so, oh, yeah. you're too good for horror films. So right. it, at that point, I drifted off into French and German art films and did all those sorts of things. I did that for about a year and a half, two years, and then I was like, you know, I really miss seeing people die who don't deserve it, um, or are killed by monsters, or movies about horrible things happening and so i like actually ran back i you know metaphorically speaking to this and that's this friend of mine that i was talking about that was our convergence point we we're both enormous fans of the universal horror films from the 30s and 40s the hammer films from the 50s and 60s um contemporary stuff from the 70s that featured you know grotesque families eating each other and that sort of thing and but but it was sort of like you know kind of reinvesting in the stuff that and and so it's like and I mention all this because when you see other people's opinions, you sort of realize that they're so contextual, right? Right. They're so based on what else they've seen and how they make sense out of you know, what they feel like they have an expertise in. And I love talking, especially with students, love talking to them about like when a film comes out and everybody like the reviews are terrible. This is going to be a this is a bad film and everybody goes to see it. Right. And and it was just sort of like, so why did you go? It's like, well, everybody was going to see it. Yeah. So I felt like I had to. So I think it's hilarious. Like, what is it that drags us to those kind of occasions? Definitely not our significant mm-hmm. others. Uh, yeah, well, it depends. Uh, when John Wick 3 comes out, we'll be, we'll be there the first day. And it will be better than John Wick 2, which was better than John Wick yeah. 1, which is a recommendation for the John Wick films. What was the movie? Oh, 
Who's the author that has movies that you like that I have to go see occasionally? Th- that I? No. Oh, you? Oh. They're not you necessarily movies that I like or an author that I like. It's, again, I feel like I have to go see them. Um, I don't know. I'm not telling. All right. That's fine. Because I can't we'll remember. We'll end it there. <laughs> <I can't> <laughs> <remember>. <laughs> that's, a, that's kind of a scary thing. Oh, and production details about it, too, speaking of horror films, are out. So because ah. my, my wife would would if she were here would be talking about Stephen King because she is right. enormous. She's read everything Stephen King's written, watched most of the adaptations of stuff, and she was all about the red balloons for the longest time. They did actually this incredible promotion at uh, an event on the West Coast uh, week. I think it was last week where they had hired a bunch of people in yellow raincoats with red balloons and had them all stand around the building where the event was taking place. Oh, wow. So. I think that's a epic commitment. Yeah, I think the only thing that we really agree on is maybe documentaries. Yeah, yeah. We could sit and watch a good. In fact, we took our daughters to the Mister Rogers documentary. Oh, that's true. I think you've talked about that a little bit. I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but, but I realized quickly that it was not the same as Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. What What did your daughter say about it? Well, our six year old, we were walking out. Our six year old said, "I watched the whole thing," and our four year old said, "I watched nothing." <laughs> so she was playing on my phone the whole time and could care less. Uh, um, uh-huh. But they, they're, it's more talking. It's a great documentary. She was, Faye was really sad. So there right. is, there is a, a part of it where Mr. Rogers, as, uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood had gone off the air. But over the years, PBS had always brought back Mr. Rogers, particularly during times of tragedy, to sort of be the the person to console the country. Mm-hmm. And after nine eleven. Um, even though Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood had gone off air, they asked Fred Rogers to come on and sort of, you know, kind of film this this segment, in which is has has now became a, a you know a pretty a pretty historical uh, piece, and mm-hmm. and there's some things that he says in it that, that that are really enlightening. But he was really sad and frustrated about having to do it, and I think it might have been just part of age or just part of just like being so worn down by it or mm-hmm. the specific events itself. But you could tell, like while he was filming it, he was really frustrated. Um, with the idea of even even doing it itself. So, anyways, mm-hmm. that's the one thing that Faye caught on to right. that she saw Mr. Rogers sad. We were luckily we went at eleven a.m. We weren't even sure mm-hmm. that the movie theater was open yet, and we were the only ones in the theater. So, luckily, we were able to talk her through some of it. But what we weren't expecting is it shows um, clips of Robert Kennedy's assassination mm-hmm. and him talking about assassination, like he has an episode where he says he explains what assassination is. Um, Mm -hmm. So we realized quickly that we have sheltered her a lot from these big events, which she'll find out she's six. She's not, Mm -hmm. it's not in her history books right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But 9-11, her seeing the smoke cloud come down and and she said, it looks like a big storm. And we're like, yeah. And so just talking them through that was a little bit heavier than what we thought we're going to just learn about these puppets and this awesome man that wears a sweater. But the, mm-hmm. the point is, that's what Mr. Rogers was for. Right. Like, he was the guy who could explain things to your kids that, you know, you often struggled with with actually doing by, at times. And we struggled would, through that whole time. He took an entire week on divorce. I mean, that's just crazy to yeah. me. You know, but that's what, like, that's the kind of topics that he was willing to go to, go you know, go in where mm-hmm. other children's shows are not going to go. He had, I, you know, I, I, I haven't seen the film yet. I intend on seeing it uh, very shortly, but the, uh, when I hear him talk 
talk about kids and feelings. There's something oh, yeah. incredible about his uh, empathic ability, his ability to see the value of, and he's you know I mean he's kind of a talk therapist in a lot right. of ways for for kids. And his I mean his legacy is still there with our kids. There's the new PBS show that's Daniel Tiger, so it's his first puppet that he had now put into a cartoon and it's oh. all surran- surrounded about this tiger they still live in the neighborhood um some of the s- same characters but he's still daniel tiger has songs that he sings for certain feelings and our daughters frustratingly sing each other those songs when they're mad at the other one like <laughs> you have to share like <laughs> you know um but it's still happening where there's still a show from his production that's still helping kids work through their emotions, which isn't happening in any other show. Mm-hmm. You're either learning some kind of educational thing or you're learning how to throw a pie in someone's face. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think all the emphasis that culturally we put on sort of raising STEM fields up to this kind of ideal and kind of ignoring that kind of emotional side of development in a lot of cases or making it sort of like not part of the culture um, I mean, in the times we're living in, I think, you know, being so close to the end of the world, um, it's, you know, it's very, there's a lot going on that I, you know, a lot going on and a lot of you were talking about having, having some knowledge of these events and whether you can protect people from it or not. I mean, once, <clears throat> once they sort of are on the internet, you can't, right? I mean, it's like everything is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, we were joking about the, 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 the Pete Holmes thing about not knowing, yeah. right? The wonder of not knowing something. Just don't know. Just don't know, right. I don't, where's Tim Petty from? I don't (laughs) know. And I'm not going to look it up. Yeah, but yeah, that kind of like that beauty of not knowing. Because at at some point then, it just becomes, you know, once you sort of like figure out what the internet is, it's like, hmm, all this stuff. I don't know if it's true, but there's a lot of it. And I can basically go through and dig out whatever I want, so... I'm just, you know, if if I had been a kid now, it would be bad. I would be, I would, I would have lots of, I would, I'd be, I'd keep Fred Rogers very busy right. with trying it's to. It's hard through. to know that line of what your child can look at at appropriate age and what they cannot. Because mm-hmm. Faye, she pretty much could figure out how to Google something if she wanted to. Yeah. That's one of my one of my favorite discussion points is is getting students to talk about what their parents wouldn't. I've mentioned this before. What what their parents wouldn't let them watch, right? Because it's just it's so random, right? And 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 just kind of like oh, okay. But I realize as a parent, it's more like we don't allow our girls to watch SpongeBob because it drives me crazy. Yeah, so <laughs> that's really of, you. We is in you. I, I'm like he has a bad attitude. He's not nice, but really it just drives me insane. So I try to figure out all of these reasons why they can't watch spongebob i was like i just don't want you to be the kid that watches spongebob <laughs> that's really funny what did you have fun on the podcast it was wonderful thank right. you for joining us yes. it was really nice to have you Thanks here for me. what about steven universe has that hit there you know about no. what's happening in the steven oh, universe no. universe no. they had two women got engaged in, in the steven universe cartoon program huh. so it's an interesting awesome. time yeah well, there you go anyway, there's but yeah, rumors that the new frozen is going to come out with elsa having a girlfriend I don't think it's going to, Disney's not there yet, but we're for it. Well, you, you heard it here first. All right. Thank, <laughs> thanks everyone for joining us once again at the end of the world. 